Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues, have conversations with foreign affairs thought leaders and newsmakers, and give you the context you need to understand the world today. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And now on with the show. The coronavirus pandemic is impacting the entire world, but each region is experiencing this crisis in a different way. In the Caribbean, where many countries depend on tourism to sustain their economy, COVID-19 is exacting a particularly heavy toll. Millions of people are out of work, and governments that were already deeply in debt are now in even deeper economic and budgetary distress. My guest today, Geneve Brown-Metzger, is the former Consul General of Jamaica in New York. She is also President of the Caribbean American Maritime Association and host of the new Caribbean Affairs podcast, Diplomatically Speaking. In our conversation, she explains how COVID-19 is impacting the Caribbean. This includes not only the domestic affairs of the various countries in the region, but also foreign policy. In particular, Geneve Brown-Metzger explains how China is using this moment to advance its interests in the Caribbean, at a time when the United States, under the Trump administration, has been generally neglectful of the Caribbean. Indeed, the region has become yet another venue for China's global development and infrastructure-building projects under the rubric of its Belt and Road Initiative. So the Caribbean is a region that I do cover from time to time on the podcast, but I haven't yet done an episode on region-wide trends. And so I was very glad to speak with Geneve Brown-Metzger for this episode today. And I very much look forward to her new podcast, Diplomatically Speaking. And I'll post a link to her podcast in the show notes of this episode. And if you're listening to this episode contemporaneously, the next live taping of the podcast featuring audience participation will take place on Thursday, June 4th. Please sign up for my mailing list on globaldispatchespodcast.com and I will send you the registration link for that live taping of the podcast. We will be discussing the intersection of climate, food systems, security, and conflict. It should prove to be an interesting conversation, and I would love to see you there. All right, now here is my conversation with Geneve Brown-Metzger, former Consul General of Jamaica in New York, and host of the new podcast, Diplomatically Speaking. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. My goodness, um, in every way, actually, hasn't it <laughs> impacted the world in every way? The difference with the Caribbean is that we are small. We are among the small 
island developing states. And as such, uh, we are debt ridden. We have a high uh, unemployment rate. And so the Im- impact of COVID is uh, pretty astronomical, very deep. And I think the impact will be long, long lasting. And so many countries in the Caribbean are just dependent, if not entirely dependent, on tourism. And I have to imagine that there are very few tourists uh, there right now or even planning future vacations. That's right. Um, About 80% of our revenues uh, come from tourism. And uh, in the last uh, three months, uh, it's been decimated. We've lost about 70% of those revenues and uh, with no real uh, return in sight right now, um, countries are working very hard to mitigate in terms of their cleaning protocols and planning to reopen their borders. But a lot of tourism has to do with customer traveler confidence. And uh, that is still a big question. So, you know, if you are living in a country, I don't know, I'm, I'm just picking one out like Antigua or something like that, that, um, you know, is so dependent on tourism. I mean, if on an individual level, how are Antiguans or other people in the Caribbean who work in the tourism, tourism industry just coping right now? I mean, are there kind of social safety nets available to them? Are there government programs um, like that are happening elsewhere in the world to provide direct relief to individuals? Is any of that happening anywhere in the Caribbean? To a certain extent, um, their governments, I know for Jamaica, Bahamas, and uh, Barbados, notice I've picked some fairly uh, wealthier Caribbean countries, wealthier in quotes, that have mitigation programs where they are sending funds to um, to their um, residents, to their citizens. These citizens, however, must have had a job and be able to demonstrate that they were working prior to uh, COVID. So f- with high employment rate, you can imagine that there's a big chunk of persons who are not getting that support. And on like a, a, a government level, I mean, you re- you said earlier that a number of countries in the region were already debt ridden. And I just have to imagine that the lack of tourism revenue is just totally devastating national budgets. Um, like, how is that manifesting itself? That's manifesting itself in uh, some serious economic uh, ways. Um, hospitalizations are up, obviously, because of COVID. Um, the countries are strapped to be able to, uh, deal with the, that extra weight on the system. Of course, the employment situation is pretty high. I, I don't think we're at a polit- uh, at the point of political unrest at this point, thank heavens. But we're beginning to see a certain amount of you know, disturbance among the citizenry, a lot of complaining, a certain number of protests in some countries uh, where that is concerned that uh, the leadership is working very hard to kind of tamp down. Uh, On the geopolitical level, there uh, are moves, of course, by China to kind of step in. China just committed, I think, $2 billion to help the region fight COVID. They are making other types of geopolitical moves uh, with respect to um, kind of keeping U.S. influence out of the region and um, even more aggressively than before uh, the pandemic. So uh, this is an area of concern, I think, for all of us who watch uh, the region and uh, no doubt for the United States as well. 
Yeah, I, I want to get into that. I just have one other question on those lines of like how Caribbean is is coping right now. I mean, you know, in the past there have been shocks, both sort of exogenous, like um, you know, hurricanes and and bad weather, and also mm-hmm. shocks due to just economic problems here in the United States, like say the two thousand and eight two thousand nine economic collapse. Um, you know, in the past, how have Caribbean governments that say rely on tourism or other, you know, U.S. Um, exports or other, you know, relationship with the U.S. How have they sort of weathered these kinds of shocks in the past, and well, and are those mechanisms like available to them now? Well, one mechanism is to uh, promote foreign direct investment. That mechanism is certainly in question at the moment. In fact, uh, the region was just really beginning to see some light coming out of the 2008 financial crisis, uh, which, as you know, was uh, quite prolonged and quite impactful globally. Um, And uh, one of the ways that they dealt with that was to ramp up, and they were successful. Countries like Jamaica, St. Lucia, Dominica, Dominican Republic, Trinidad were beginning to really see movement in terms of attracting foreign direct investment in energy, in uh, um, oil, of course, part of energy, in um, finance. Uh, Jamaica had launched its financial services firm and in fact was doing quite well uh, with its stock market. Uh, and um, also- in Yeah, the wasn't, isn't Jamaica's stock market one of the best performing in the world? <laughs> well, that I wish that were more known broadly, but it is. In fact, Bloomberg cited it as in 2015 as the best performing stock market in the world. And again, in 2018, and in the last five years among the top five uh, best performing stock exchanges in the world. So we've been able to mitigate the 2008 financial crisis with these types of uh, initiatives and efforts. Uh, COVID has wiped that out. I mean, is there like any sense of how the Caribbean might um, sort of get away from this boom and bust cycle? Is it mostly a function of trying to diversify away from tourism? Absolutely. And that is really where uh, I see the future of the region. I think if ever there was a time to make that case, it is now. Uh, we are aware of the the whole, you know, cycle of hurricanes and other kinds of natural disasters that threaten our economy and threaten the tourism uh, industry. Um, We are aware of the push and pull of crime. You know, if anybody is murdered in the region, somehow that becomes an advisory in Canada and in the United States and people don't travel. So those kinds of things, uh, you know, we have dealt with for decades. Uh, This coronavirus is a different uh, story. So yes, there is an understanding and appreciation that's uh, even more so right now, that there needs to be an earnest commitment to diversifying the economy. And the areas that are, uh, I think, will present those opportunities will be the areas of agriculture being one, the whole uh, uh, blue economy. And we can talk about getting into more detail of that if you want. Certainly, energy is an area, and that's alternative energy would be an area that portends great potential for dealing with, you know, for diversifying the, the regional economy overall. 
So, so in the midst of this all, as you mentioned, uh, China seems to be making a play for the region um, in you know its broader attempt to exert its influence uh, around the world. You referenced earlier a two billion dollar aid package that China is pledging to governments in the Caribbean. Can you describe what what, what is that aid package? That aid package is to uh, deal with the the shock of of the coronavirus. Whether it is to um, mitigate the health challenges, you know, build hospitals, more services, testing, and so on, but it's also to fill the economic gap, uh, to kind of uh, back uh, stop, if you will, the economic challenges which are certainly down the pike until the economy can regularize again. China has been, for the last 10 years, the major funder of infrastructure projects, massive infrastructure projects such as roads and bridges, even hospitals and stadia, stadium, you know, uh, in the region. In the Caribbean. In can, the Caribbean. Do you know, can you give me a couple of examples of, um, this seems to be part of the Belt and Road Initiative, China's big infrastructure building, global infrastructure building projects around the world. So there are BRI initiatives and BRI projects that Mm -hmm. are present in the Caribbean today? There are. uh, And these projects have always been there. Everybody understands that in order to build a successful economy, uh, that you need roads, you need good roads, you need that kind of infrastructure. That gap has always been there. That's been an issue in terms of stymieing the development of the region for a long time. This is not news What is news is that China has stepped up, in my humble opinion, where the U.S. and the U.K. have not to fill that gap. And Chinese money comes with a lot of strings, and uh, they are geopolitical. Um, One of the recent sessions, uh, moves that China made recently, is uh, on the U.N. decision of uh, one China. And um, they have cultivated the Caribbean to vote uh, with them on that in the UN. So, um, yeah, the money. I saw that. Yeah. I saw that ahead of this world health assembly meeting that seemed to be potentially contentious over, um, over Taiwan's status among other things that China, the Chinese foreign ministry held basically a conference call with a number of Caribbean governments to get their support behind, um, their policies at the World Health Assembly. It was just like a very overt and transparent um, sort right. of, this is our messaging, you guys better stand behind us. That's right. So, what does the region yeah. do? The region says no. Of course, the region doesn't say no. The region lines up and the region does what China wants. And this is a concern. And, and so like, what's an example of a of a Chinese investment project with some strings uh, attached? Because, it, you know, in other regions, the Belt and Road Initiative, one of the big kind of drawbacks from the perspective of countries in which these projects are undertaken is that they're financed through debt, um, that governments basically, you know, pay Chinese firms to build this infrastructure and then are indebted to China. Um, That's right. They, they- is that happening? That's exactly happening. I'll give you an example before I do that, though. I'll give you one of the other strings. The other, which is really a problem for the Caribbean, is that you must use Chinese workers. So just picture this. In Jamaica, for example, there's Highway 2000. This is a massive highway that goes from uh, the east, eastern part of the island all the way across to the north coast. 
and it cuts the travel time and, of course, the you know, movement of, uh, of goods and services, all good for the economy, of course, by about 50%, all right? And when you're on this highway, it's as good as anything you see in North America or better. I mean, this is a silk 8, 10, 12 lane highway to and fro. Um, that was all built by not only Chinese money, but Chinese workers brought in by the tens of thousands displacing local workers in a country that has double-digit unemployment. This is all, I think, happening amazingly, you know, just in America's backyard in a region that the U.S. used to exert tremendous influence over. That's right. Uh, and, you know, the Caribbean-U.S. ties, um, you know, historically have been the most important, I have to imagine, for any country in the Caribbean – the U.S. bilateral relationship is the most important. So, for example, you as the consul general um, uh, of Jamaica to New York were, you know, one of the most important diplomats in all of Jamaica because you were representing Jamaica's interests in New York. That's right. In New York and in 32 other states, the role of consul general uh, has a 33-state uh, territory of responsibility, as well as Puerto Rico and Bermuda. It is the most important, the largest foreign service mission. Well, uh, so is now, is is the, the Jamaican ambassador to China now sort of one of the most important positions in the foreign ministry, whereas when you were there, it probably wasn't? No, it was still an important mission. In fact, I know Ambassador Rattray very well. He had been in China for, I would say, about over a decade. He's now the permanent representative at the United Nations. So there's another Chinese Jamaican ambassador yeah. in China. Uh, but, uh, you know, to the issue of uh, the gap that China has been filling and the role that uh, the U.S. has played in the region for as long as we can re remember, uh, certainly post-colonial, that is, um, it is confounding to many of us, uh, I wouldn't say necessarily in the diplomatic community because you know, we kind of know what's happening, but in those who have the Caribbean interests at heart as to why this is, is happening. In other words, why the U.S. is not doing more. Uh, the good news is that uh, Representative Engel out of New York mounted in 2017 under the uh, Obama administration, the Caribbean Strategic Engagement Act, to essentially deepen the relationship uh, between the region and uh, the United States with some very key areas of interest, one of them, of course, being security. I mean, the Caribbean is considered uh, the third border of the United States. There are huge security interests that the U.S. would have with the Caribbean, huge uh, in terms of immigration, certainly drug trafficking, uh, the maritime uh, world, it is significant. Uh, certainly also, we talked about immigration. We talked about trade as well uh, with the region. The United States is the region's largest trading partner. Um, we talked about energy. We, we haven't talked yet about diaspora. Uh, the Caribbean American community is a very active, very successful uh, community that has influence uh, and that these resources can be brought to bear in making sure that this relationship stays on track. Um, I'm confounded as to why the U U.S. does not pay more attention to the region. So yeah, influence in particular in, in the districts that Elliot Engel represents in the areas uh, around New York and in New York City. Uh, he's now the chair of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Now the chair um, of the House 
So, so presumably this piece of legislation should have, um, you know, a bit more momentum behind it. So, I mean, where does this piece of legislation stand? And it seems, you know, in the grand scheme of things, you know, is this legislation a sufficient counterweight to the influence that China is wielding in the region? I think that's an excellent question. I think it's a start. I do not think that it is enough of a counterweight, to use your word. But the conversation, this is all diplomacy. And uh, diplomacy is all about relationship and starting the conversation. Uh, it is a start. Uh, that unfortunately, that piece of legislation it has just kind of sat there since 2017. There's been a change of administration. It's not really a priority. And certainly right now with COVID, uh, it is perhaps even less of a priority. My view, it ought to be up there because when we're talking about uh, a, a pandemic that has no respect for borders, to me, that becomes even more of a reason that we should be looking at what is happening, you know, with our neighbor in the Caribbean. Uh, I don't think it's sufficient to say we're going to close the borders and that's it. Well, the borders can't be, you know, can't stay closed forever. And the minute that that those borders open up, you're dealing with the problem front and center. So I think it's very interesting, too, that in all of the conversations that we're having and, uh, you know, I try to stay attuned to them, very little of that conversation includes ASIDs, small island developing states in the Caribbean. Africa is being discussed, of course, you know, the, the five tigers, the small uh, Asian nations, you know, Singapore included, are being discussed. Of course, Europe is right up there. But I've seen two conversations involving uh, the Caribbean, and they have been had with Christiana Amanpour, who interviewed uh, the Prime Minister of Barbados, Mia Motley, and the Prime Minister of Jamaica. That's why I'm having you on the yeah. uh, the podcast, Madam Consul General. Well, thank you very much. Uh, to this point about there being a dearth of information and good conversation about Caribbean affairs in the world, I, I want to talk about your podcast, but I have one, one more question before we get there. You know, like other foreign affairs spending, aid to the Caribbean has sharply decreased under the Trump administration, or at least uh, White House budgets presumably sharply decrease uh, proposed spending uh, for bilateral aid and other initiatives in the Caribbean. Right. Is that just a function of, of sort of a general neglect of the region? Or is there something maybe more sinister uh, about policy? From the Trump administration, you know, I've, you know, as a diplomat, and uh, now certainly I'm an American citizen. By the way, since I ended my uh, tenure, I became an American citizen. I try to stay out of the politics of things, so I'm just really stating the facts. Uh, the aid to the region has been reduced drastically uh, in the last four years. Um, as to whether, you know, it's a policy decision or something more sinister, it's not for me to to judge that. I can only deal with the facts. And the facts are that the aid has gone down some 90% to the region in the last four years. Now, when you... when 90%? It's a significant number. Yes. That's, that's, that's far more significant than, say, Africa, as you said. Far more significant, and why? Uh, why? Like, why is that such a huge? I mean, I, I expected a decline. I did not expect you to cite ninety percent. Well, 
I, I obviously the fact that I'm stumbling over my words is because it's a it's a reflection of the fact that I am you know puzzled as to why that 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 would be the case. I would hate to think that it is part of the you know the geopolitics between the region and and China. I would hate to think that is the case because to me, from the U.S. standpoint, that's an easy fix. It's an easy fix. Step up and uh, say this will not stand, and let's do something to make sure that, as neighbors and as long-standing partners and friends with a history going back a long time, that we are here for you. This is a globalized world. God, if I ever made a cliche, that was it. The Caribbean is part of that globalized world. And if one can rationalize the importance of building and maintaining those relationships diplomatically, economically, with other parts of the world, then I have to ask the question, why not with the Caribbean? Is it that it's so small, 25 nations, 45 million people, and so maybe it's, you know, kind of a marginalized community and we don't have to really think about it. I am at a loss to come up with an answer that makes sense to me as to why this this happens. Well, hopefully we can look forward to your podcast for uh, understanding some of those reasons. Um, I'm looking forward to, to listening to it. Can you give listeners a taste of, of what to expect from your podcast? Uh, thank you very much for the opportunity to plug my podcast. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I, you know, it's like you said, I'm I'm excited about there being a podcast about Caribbean affairs. Like you said, it's not a region that I think gets the attention it deserves in the media, at least even in the media that I consume. And I have like a fairly globalized media right. consumption diet. So I'm I'm excited. Well, it uh, it will be launched officially June one, uh, and uh, it is about Caribbean uh, foreign policy and uh, social and economic affairs. Uh, you can check it out at diplomaticallyspeaking.com and get all of the sessions. We're looking forward to having uh, people from representatives of multilaterals. I'm uh, interviewing today the head of uh, the Latin American, the Caribbean for the Inter-American Development Bank, who resides in Jamaica to talk about uh, U.S. foreign policy, how the IDB is helping in the region. Uh, We're also going to be having a series of conversations with former prime ministers around various and sundry. One particular prime minister is making uh, the uh, suggestion that all of our foreign debt, Caribbean foreign debt, should be cancelled that debt held by the U.S. as well as by China. That should be an interesting conversation. We also just had an interview with, uh, kind of a, a shift, I suppose, with uh, Cindy Breakspear. She is the former Miss World, uh, Jamaica, Miss, uh, Jamaica, Jamaican 1976, who is a Miss World, and uh, is the mother of Damien Marley. This Ooh, is uh, I've seen him in concert. That's right. Have you? Yeah, he's a fantastic guy. This is his mother, and uh, she is an artist in her own right. And so we kind of channeled Bob to kind of ask him what would Bob be thinking about, writing about uh, now in the midst of COVID. So it should be fun. I expect that, I hope it will be informative as well as, I suppose, entertaining. All right. Well, well, thank you so much. I'm I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so much, Mark, for having me on today. 
All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Geneve. That was great. I very much look forward to her podcast on Caribbean affairs. Um, and as I mentioned at the outset of this show, I would love to see you participate in one of my virtual live tapings of the podcast. The next one is on June 4th, and it is being produced in partnership with CGIAR, which is the world's largest global agricultural innovation network that connects scientists, policymakers, and the agricultural sector. And the conversation will feature scientists and policymakers discussing the intersection of food systems, climate, and conflict. And hope to see you there. All right, we'll see you next time. Bye.